So what we're going to do is we're going to be talking about deacons again this Sunday morning gathering. Last week we looked at Acts chapter 6, and what we saw is what deacons do in Acts chapter 6. This week we're going to be looking at 1 Timothy chapter 3 and looking more about what deacons and who deacons are called to be. But first, a little bit of review about what deacons do. Um, I mentioned this book last week, uh, Matt Smithurst. I'm going to say that name wrong again during that, this gathering again. But this book has been really, really helpful. It's helped guide a lot of our practice around what we believe and what we see and what we believe is helpful about deacons in the church. And this little book right here has been really helpful for me. And so if I say anything that sounds really smart or really beautiful, probably stole it from Matt, just to be honest. Uh, he's a really great writer. I'm really thankful for the, the work of Nine Marks and what they've done to equip the church with building healthy churches to resources like this. And so uh, I'm sure all of you memorized that, that definition of deacons by Matt from last week, right? Nope, me either. Let's throw that up on the screen. Here we go. Deacons are model servants that meet the tangible needs, organize, and mobilize acts of service, preserve the unity of the flock, and support the ministry of the elders. See, as I've thought about the role of deacons over the past week, um, as I've prepared for this sermon again, I, I've, th I've come to realize there's one role in, in one particular type of movie that kind of exemplifies the role of deacon. Um, if, you, if you've ever seen a rom-com before or a chick flick, uh, good, good chance that there's something called a wedding planner in that movie somewhere, right? All of the women in the room are already tracking with me. You're like, J-Lo, I know that. She's got the, like the bottom of hairspray. She's, 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 she's doing all the things, making sure all the fires are put out, obsessing over every little detail, put them all out so that the main attraction, the wedding, would be center stage. This is what a, a wedding planner does. The wedding planner doesn't take center stage. They don't get the attention. They make sure all of the details are taken care of. And this is what deacons do in the life of the church. Deacons serve the church in such a way that the gospel, primarily in its proclamation, takes center stage. Deacons take care of things within the church, and so it makes sense that the word deacon literally means servant. I think I actually forgot to mention that in last, last week's sermon, uh, sermon, that the word deacon literally means servant. If you go look at the word in Greek, uh, the, the two ways that this word diakonos, I don't really talk about Greek a lot, but here we go. Greek word is diakonos there, it means servant, and it can be translated deacon as well. And so everywhere in the New Testament, you see the word servant or deacon. That word is diakonos there. So it's no surprise the role of deacons in the church, in the early church, were to be servants that acted like shock absorbers that protected the unity in the church. We saw that last week what deacons did in their roles allowed for the elders to focus on the critical task of prayer and ministry of the word, to see the gospel continue to advance, to see the church multiply. So the big question of what deacons do can be summed up like this, and this will come up for us on the screens as well. See, deacons, their primary focus is deed ministry, the practical needs and service ministries of the church. Whereas the elders, their primary focus is word ministry. What I'm doing here right now on a Sunday morning preaching like this is part of that. But what the deacons do is deed ministry, and what the elders do in primary focus is word ministry. See, in deacon roles that we presented to you guys this past Sunday, we tried to provide as much clarity as possible with clarity by the, the name of their roles, that they're a, actually a deacon of something, and they make sure they have a crystal clear job description. Uh, many of you in the room already know uh, that I like to hunt. 
uh, I like to go deer hunting. And so I've got a deer hunting rifle. It's a 270. It's a great deer hunting rifle. But it's only as good as the scope that I have on it, right? If I'm sitting up there in the deer stand and I've got my rifle, it doesn't matter if that deer walks out at 30 yards or 150 yards. I'm not going to be able to hit it unless I have some way of aiming my gun at it, right? If I don't have a good scope on it. And so what, this is what a scope does for our deacons. This is what a good scope does for any ministry leader in the church. It defines and gives clarity to their role so you can have healthy expectations out of what to expect out of them. Because you as the congregation need to be able to affirm your deacons. You need to be able to affirm your ministry leaders. See, clarity is hugely important for the deacons serving, the elders leading, and for you as the congregation to have healthy expectations of your leaders. And we saw this last week. When all of these roles are functioning properly, they protect and they propel the entire church towards greater unity and effectiveness. If you'll remember, the end of the passage in Acts chapter 6 this past week ended like this. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. I was just talking with a friend before the gathering about this is the first time the word multiplied happens here in this text. You see again and again, there's an increase, 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 but when you add structure, you add clarity, multiplication happens in the church, and this is what we want to see is healthy unity and healthy multiplication of disciples, healthy proclamation of the gospel, and healthy demonstration of the gospel through service. So what we're going to do from now is we're going to jump into 1 Timothy 3 and see more about what deacons are called to be. So go ahead and grab your Bible and open up with me to 1 Timothy chapter 3. We'll be in verses 8 through 13. And um, uh, just so you know, we preach and teach here uh, primarily through the ESV translation of the Bible. So if you have something else, that's great. That's fine. We're happy for you. Um, But it might be a little bit, uh, it would be important when we're talking about um, certain terms that pop up in the text today in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 through 13. If you don't have a Bible, there's actually someone's uh, on the table at the back. If you grab that Bible on the way in, if you don't own a Bible, keep it. Consider it our gift to you. We love the Bible here. We want you to as well. Let me go ahead and read this text for us this morning, the very words of Christ for us this morning, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 through 13. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, and let them be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own husbands well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. All right, so if you grew up in the church at all, this is probably a fairly familiar text for you because this is the go-to passage in the New Testament when you're going to think about the, 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 uh, the offices within the church, the offices of elder and deacon within the church. And so essentially in this passage of 1 Timothy 3, 8 through 13, Paul is answering the question, who are deacons called to be? So after a quick 
look at the surrounding context because if you land somewhere in Scripture, if anybody ever takes you and lands you somewhere in Scripture, the first thing you should ask is, where am I? You should ask the question, context, 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 right? Uh, if you've ever uh, heard people talk about real estate, it's always what? Location, 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 right? In the Bible, it's always context, context, context. How do we know what we're talking about? We need to look about where, where we're at here. This is a letter written from Paul uh, to a church, and he's talking at this point about leadership in that church, and he talks first about overseers, uh, who, the office that we call elder in the church. In the verses 1 through 7, Paul gives us biblical qualifications for eldership in Jesus' church. In summary, he says that men that are above reproach, well-respected, without addictions, good husbands and dads that aren't young in their faith, that have the ability to teach— should be considered for eldership. And it's actually a good thing if you aspire to eldership. If you want it, if you, if you feel like that, that's something that God has for you, that's actually a really good thing. He makes that clear. He, we here at Veritas, yes and amen, Paul, in this. Veritas Church is led by a team, a plurality, a team of biblically qualified men, some of which are lay elders, lay pastors in this church, and some of which are paid staff, paid elders in this church that are generously paid our salaries and are employed by the church. We use that term pastor, elder, and overseer uh, as synonymous terms here. We believe the New Testament does the same, that this usage of these terms is the same, and we use the term elder for this office of overseer in the church. See, elders are very, very important in the life of the church, but Paul also very quickly moves from elders to deacons. He doesn't stop with just elders. He moves on to this role of deacons. So this next section on deacons, I believe, should be best broken down like this. So if you're a note taker, this is where you get happy. I'm going to give you those little four little sections here of how we're breaking down the text. Break your journals and pens out. Here we go. Um, one through four here. General four, uh, the, the four ways I think this passage should be broken down is like this. One, general qualification for deacons. This is verses eight through 10. Then Paul shifts to specific qualifications for female deacons. Now, I know a lot of your ears just perked up there. If you grew up in a different context that didn't have women deacons, hold your horses, we'll get there, all right? Three, specific qualifications for male deacons in verse 12. And then finally, Paul has a summary statement for all deacons and why it's all worth it. Why serve? Why be a deacon in the church? Let's go ahead and pick up in that first section on general qualifications for deacons. So, again, Paul is saying here, he's answering the question, who are deacons called to be? And what he's going to give us are qualifications here. And this is because in the New Testament, as followers of Jesus, as the church, the church is always going to care about the character of her leaders more than the competency of her leaders. Let me say that again. The church should always, should always care about the character of her leaders more than the competency of her leaders. We don't just pe want people that can do the job really, really well. We don't want just rock stars at an individual position. We want men and women who are qualified, that love and are passionate about Jesus, that are sold out on Jesus and also can do the job well, okay? This is what Paul cares about. And here's the, the list that Paul gives us of these general qualifications for deacons. He says this, Deacons should be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. Jesus followers, I know he's setting the bar really high with that one, right? <laughs> Got to be a Jesus follower. And they also should be tested first. 
And so those all seem pretty simple if you look at them on the surface, but I think we're gonna, we should dive into each of these and see what they really mean, what, Ma, what Paul might be saying uh, in the context of this early church. So let's start with that first statement on dignified. See, dignified, this qualification acts like a banner that's flying over all of these qualifications. It's like the summary statement for elders at the beginning of it that says he must be above reproach. For deacons, it's he must be dignified which really means that deacons should be worthy of respect. If you want to be a deacon in Jesus' church, you first must resemble Jesus. And this doesn't mean that deacons are supposed to be perfect. This doesn't mean that deacons are supposed to have everything all together, but generally speaking, they must be people that, that others are willing to follow and get behind to address the needs of the church. Second, Paul moves then to not double-tongued. You can kind of quickly see why Paul says this, too, because it, Paul knows that the role of deacon, you're going to have countless interactions with people who are either disgruntled or eager to have things done their way. You're going to be meeting practical needs of actual people, right? But understood very simply, Paul's saying that a deacon will not be double-tongued as saying that he's not going to appease, say something to appease one person over here and then say something completely different over here to appease this person person or win approval of another, a double tongue is an indicator of pride and a fear of man. See, if you've been in the church for very long at all, if you grew up in the church, you, you already know this well. You have probably no doubt seen how flattery and gossip can cripple the life of a church. Absolutely take ministry and turn it to a screaming halt. Everything then focuses on this little drama war inside of the church. Flattery and gossip have no place in Jesus' church and certainly no place among the leaders of her church. Again, in his book, Matt Smithers writes this, flattery, it has been observed, is saying to someone's face what you wouldn't say behind their back, whereas gossip is saying behind someone's back what you wouldn't say to their face. Pretty good there, right? A qualified deacon studiously avoids both. In church, I think we should all take heed in this. If you are a follower of Jesus, you must studiously avoid both of these things as well. Now back to Paul in 1 Timothy 3. He moves on to not addicted to much wine. So um, actually in my study, uh, and Matt writes in the book uh, again about this as well, that part of one of the roles of a deacon in the early life of a church was no doubt delivering uh, medicinal wine for, for medicinal pur uh, purposes to people that were in need, people that were sick, all that types of stuff like that, because wine was used for medicinal purposes at that, that time. And so, practically speaking, you had to have deacons that weren't getting high on their own supply here, you know, that weren't going to start taking a little nip on the stuff that they were supposed to be taking to the people in need, uh, that they weren't drinking the supply of people that they were supposed to be meeting with those needs. And so, um, I, I think that would have applied in some cases, but what I think Paul is getting at here, what should be the simple principle here, is that deacons should be without addictions. They should be without clear addictions. They're not addicted to much wine. So deacons shouldn't abuse or indulge anything that would hinder them from their work or their witness. It goes for all of us, should it not? We're a follower of Jesus. 
indulging in things that are going to hurt our witness with others, or indulging in things that are going to inhibit us from serving others, these things should certainly be things that we would abstain from. This doesn't mean, and the, 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 this doesn't mean that we don't take part in other things, but we are not addicted to these things. So after these three negative qualities that must be avoided, Paul completes the general qualification for deacons with these two last statements. They must hold the mystery of faith with a clear conscience. They must be Jesus followers, actual Jesus followers. And then finally, let them also be tested first. Let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. See, Paul is making it very clear for us they should be followers of Jesus. Like you've actually got to be a Jesus follower. Not someone that can merely get the job done, but someone who clearly knows the gospel and follows Jesus and lives the gospel. And you, you know these, these people. You've had interactions with these people if you are a follower of Jesus. They're just kind of fans of Jesus. Like Jesus is my homeboy kind of t-shirt. They treat Jesus like the cheap fix on something in their life. Or like, oh man, when everything in my life is going bad, then, then I'll call on Jesus. He's my kind of like genie in the bottle that I need to go rub the lamp and like ask him for one of my wishes to get true. No, those aren't the types of Jesus fans that we need as deacons of the church. We need Jesus followers in the church that serve as deacons. People that are sold out on Jesus saying, Jesus is not, I'm not just a fan of Jesus. Jesus is my king. He is my king who died for me. Like me finding Jesus is like uh, the parable that Jesus said, I found a treasure in a field. It's like the, the, the kingdom of heaven is like a, a treasure buried in a field that when a man stumbled on it and found it, he went and sold everything he had. How much did he sell? Everything he had went back and bought the field and got the treasure for himself. This is the type of followers of Jesus we need, completely sold out on Jesus. Half in, half out. I'll come to Jesus when I need him, when I need a fix. These are the type of followers of Jesus that are all in, completely sold out. Jesus is my king eternal. Types of followers of Jesus. And then, then Paul gives some practical advice here when it comes to installing deacons. This is the only real practical advice we get here. Let them be also tested first and let them serve as deacons and if they prove themselves blameless. And so at first, uh, I'm sure most of us in the room would think, uh, yeah, duh, Paul, of course we'll test them. Uh, before we give them an official title. But are we really good at doing that? Is that like what we're kind of known for, like generally as humans? No, we always do this in the reverse order, right? Like, yeah, do we just slap a title on, some, on somebody or something, and we think it's going to be awesome, and when it turns out to be the other way, we, we're confused. Uh, this happens again and again and again in the life of the church, this ought not be so, though, right? I mean, let's just, a pretty, a pretty easy practical example, okay? If you've got a fan of The Office in the room, you remember when Michael left the show, and they put Will Ferrell in the office manager's seat, and what do you think? You think, this is going to be the best thing ever. They, they got Will Ferrell. This is going to be amazing. But what was it? A flaming pot of garbage. It was so bad. It was awful. Everyone hated that. I think it almost was intentional. It was so bad, right? It was just getting you ready, like, give me Andy or give me death. You know what I mean? Like, so it's that type of let them serve here. You know, like, give them a chance to let them serve in that position before you give them an official title. We try to say this a lot when it comes to the role of elder, that 
you ought know someone almost as like a, hey, I thought that guy was already an elder in this church before he's given the title of elder or pastor in this church. The same ought be so with the church's deacons. You might also like assume, I thought that person was already a deacon in the church. I thought that person was already named as one of the deacons. I thought they'd already been put forward. This is the way that the church should operate. See, Paul's counsel is wise here, and this is what we hope to model here in the life of the church. As folks raise their hands to be considered for deaconship, we hope to see them serve well for a season of time before we officially put them forward as deacons within the church. Then we move on to verse 11. See, this, specific, uh, this section details the specific qualifications for female deacons in verse 11. And before we get into the details here, I want to acknowledge that some of us grew up in a tradition where um, you didn't have female deacons in the church. And this actually might be a little scary for you. If you grew up in a tradition where uh, this addition of, of women as, as deacons within the church um, hallmarked maybe for you the, uh, as a precursor to the liberalization of the theology of that church. I just want to call that out now. That is not what is happening here at Veritas at all. At all. I want to assure you that being people of the Bible here at Veritas, we believe that you cannot read the New Testament without at least having the consideration that women are named as deacons within the Bible. And further, this passage in particular seems to be referencing women deacons in particular. And we also want to acknowledge that if you're here and you would, after in the sermon, you disagree with me on this particular issue, and this could this can still be home for you. We still want you here. You're, you're still part of the family. See, disagreements are okay, but divisiveness isn't. So if you're here and you disagree with us about deacons, man, welcome to the family. Get ready for next week. We're going to disagree about something different. What we believe here is that uh, it, the, the gospel changes everything. The gospel makes us a family. See, the thing that's most true about us in the room right now is not because that we're partners at Veritas or that we're gathering in this room right now, or that we're Americans. It's not the color of their skin or what we do. It's not any of those things. The thing that's most true about us as followers of Jesus is that we are blood-bought sons and daughters of God. This is the thing that most unifies us together. This is the thing that is most true about you if you've been brought into the family of God. And so secondary issues of theological importance? Come on, man. We have bigger problems than that in the church, like the evangelization of the rest of the world, like the reaching of the ends of the earth with the good news of the gospel. We don't need to bicker about this. Yes, we can have healthy disagreement, but in the church, we believe that if the gospel is powerful enough to bring us together as a family like that, it is powerful enough to hold us together on matters of secondary importance. So we here as a church do not only permit women here at Veritas to be deacons, we believe it is vital to the church's health that you as women in this church serve as deacons meeting practical needs the women of this church. Ladies, we need you. You're not just the icing on the cake. You're not just like of secondary importance in this church. Co-equal in value and dignity and worth here. We need you, we need you, we need you serving and leading. Let's move on to the text together. 1 Timothy 3, verse 11 reads this. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. And here comes some of the rub. I know I said we preach and teach in the ESV here. 
This is one of the, the, the ways in which I think the ESV actually got it a little wrong here. Um, if you look down, if you have an ESV, there's a footnote on this particular passage that says that, that that section that says their wives can actually be translated two different ways, their wives or the women. And there's a problem with that because in Greek, the word there isn't there at all. You've heard of like the whole phrase of why is it therefore? It is not therefore. Like it's not even there at all in the original Greek. It was added because of the translation committee of the ESV's understanding that Paul's usage of this word for women or wives must be wives. Therefore, adding the modifier of their further clarifies whose wives they were, the deacon's wives. Now, here's the rub for me. This word, and I'm going to butcher it, and Ryan's going to butcher me during review preview and my butchering of the Greek here. Gyakonos could mean their wives or the women. So the question is, why do they choose the word that would mean that Paul would give stipulations on the character of deacons' wives, but not elders' wives? Even more curious, why choose to translate this as their wives when this word is best translated, the women, and it's translated that way eight other times just in 1 Timothy? It doesn't make any sense. The best conclusion of this reason why, is among other translations, choose this translation, their wives, isn't because of what the text actually says. It's because the translators are reading their theology into the text. They're making it say what they want it to say. And I think it's a fair translation. I think you can understand it this way. But in light of this passage, I believe this is best read. The women, the women deacons, likewise, must be dignified not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. There's a host of other reasons why I think this should be translated this way and why we have church history standing behind us. Like John Calvin and Spurgeon believe this said they're, they're women there. So if we've got those guys on our team, I think we're doing okay. The women deacons were to be sober-minded like the elders. Check that in verse 2. And dignified like the general qualifications for other deacons along with their male counterparts. See, and this is, the Bible's over here, I'm over here. In my experience, in the local church, if that church has elders doing what they should be doing, leading, feeding, caring, and protecting the church, the biblical qualifications of eldership, doing those things, it's going to be very easy for that church to see the necessity of both male and female deacons and in alignment with the scriptures, just to say the least. If a church has deacons that function in the role of elders, and that's the way that church operates, and they run that church, they call the shots, and those deacons are running everything, it's going to be really hard for that church to see why the role of deacon can be open to, the, the, to women within that local church. And so here at Veritas, I believe it should be easy for us to see this need and for women and men to step in to meet the practical needs of the church. Let's move on to what Paul says to male deacons in verse 12. Paul then speeds into verse 12, almost going from like he's in first gear, he throws it all the way down to fourth, right? He, and then he addresses the male deacons. Verse 12, let deacons, best understood as the male deacons, each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their households well. Again, I think Matt Smithhurst says it best again like this. Let's come up on the screen. There is no such thing as a good deacon who is a lousy husband or dad. 
Being a good family man is not a bonus in considering someone for the diaconate. It is a prerequisite. And you can see here that this language for the male deacons is reflective of what's said for the male elders in the passage just above it, in verses 1 through 7. Both male elders and male deacons are expected to be good fathers and husbands before they are expected to be good stewards of Jesus' church. This further emphasizes what God is most interested in the leaders and the elders of the church. It's one in which whose character matches their competency. Their character is outpacing their competency. And then finally, verse 13, Paul gives us a summary for all deacons. Finally, as a conclusion statement for both the men and the women who serve as deacons, Paul gives a word about why serving as a deacon is going to be worth it. And he says two things, respect among others and confidence in the gospel. Let's read this verse together. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. See, the first thing that deacons gain in this is respect. And this is horizontal respect from others in the church. And if you remember that even the whole nature of deacon work is downward, even their name means servant. Think Jesus washing feet, right? This is who they're modeling their servitude after. It's after Jesus himself. Their name means servant. That means that the promise of respect by serving this position is just particularly beautiful. That wasn't me, that was Matt. <laughs> it comes from the book. I do think that the assumption here from Paul is that deacons are serving in a healthy church and serving in the way that God intended for them to serve. Just deacons who serve well, uh, that, that aren't supported, that, aren't, that, uh, that are undervalued, will eventually burn out. Or those deacons will turn on their church and, see, and turn to seek control over the church that they serve, thinking that they are entitled to something. But in a healthy church, deacons will flourish, getting to serve in their giftings as the preaching of the gospel continues unfettered because of the service of her deacons. This is why I think Paul adds that deacons will gain great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus, because not only seeing Jesus meet needs through their own hands, they are also directly supporting the ministry of the elders to see the gospel proclaimed. Yes, they're going to be respected by others, being seen as the kind of model servants in the church, and there's Christ-like sacrifice to others, but deacons will grow in their faith in Jesus as they serve like Jesus. See, this is the truth that we need to see in this. We grow in our faith as we serve like Jesus. This is arguably the most important reason for anyone to serve in any capacity in the church at all. I'm talking like cleaning bathrooms all the way to being an elder in the church, deacons, community group leaders, service team leaders, any of those things in between. The reason why it's worth it the reason why you should care about that is because we grow in our faith in Jesus as we serve like Jesus. See, all throughout the Bible, we are encouraged to serve one another. We're encouraged to welcome one another, be hospitable to one another, love one another. And do you think that like we're just told those things uh, just because uh, God just wants us to play nice with one another? Don't leave the house. Uh, you better not be a wreck when I get back there. No. Jesus sees these things, God sees these things in us, and he tells us these things because he knows that in those things we will find our good. 
in our serving and growing and serving like Jesus, we grow to look more like Jesus ourselves. Consider these words from Philippians 2 and how it calls us to serve in this self-sacrificial humility like Jesus. I return again and again and again to these words, Philippians 2. And every time I read them, I am challenged because this represents a type of humble servitude and sacrifice that I just long for because I want to look like Jesus. I want to serve like Jesus. And these words call me to this just incredible standard that I want to attain to. Let's read these words together. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. So hard to do that. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves. This means we already have it, which is yours in Christ Jesus. This is what Jesus did, who though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, what did he do? He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. And at the name of Jesus, every, name should, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." Church, this is the gospel, that Jesus has first served us. This is the gospel that Jesus would come, not using his title to, to, to boss us around and tell us what to do. You go serve me. But he uses his own position and empties himself, chooses to come as a servant to show us the way to live, the way to pour out, the way to wash the feet of his own disciples, the way to give to the poor, the way to, to bless and heal the sick to serve the least of all in the world, and beyond that, to die for us, to serve us in the way that we needed the most, to reconcile us back to God, our greatest need. He takes that need upon himself, and he deals with it himself. He serves us. So if Jesus' death for us is our model for humble service to others, how much more should we see the small ways that we serve others as having eternal value in building our faith to Jesus. We should see those opportunities to serve, to step in, to help, to, to take ownership as just gemstones in the faith. Make me more like Jesus. Give me more of that. Give me that opportunity to serve. I want to grow in my Christ likeness. Let me step in and do that. And church, if you feel in this moment that you feel like I'm trying to guilt you into serving here at Veritas, no, not at all. I'm trying to encourage you towards the thing that will bring you life. I, I know I've been in, in times of my season, the follower of Jesus, where I've given myself to other things and not served in the church. And you know what it's brought me? Death, separation from God. I've never once felt more close to Jesus after a Netflix binge. Never once. After stepping away from a season of serving, you know how good I've felt about following Jesus? I've not been rewarded in my faith. I've not been given opportunities to be able to pray and serve others. I've not seen people have aha moments of gospel revelation outside of those opportunities to actually have real relationships with others. 
Maybe you can remember back to the times when you felt most encouraged and built up as a follower of Jesus. It was never when you sat on the sidelines. Never. It's always been as you allow Jesus to work in you and through you as you served. As you've given yourself up, as you've served like Jesus. And in closing, I want to leave you with two short ways that I think this text invites us all to respond. Yes, I know that we're talking about deacons here. This is really about all of us. This text calls us to respond in two ways. One, consider how Jesus is calling you to serve in the church. See, the assumption of the entire New Testament and the Bible and all followers of Jesus is that we all have a part to play. We all have a role to play in the body. We all have something to bring to the table in some capacity. Maybe you feel the calling to serve as an elder here. Maybe you feel the calling to serve as a deacon here. You know what need, and you're just maybe right on the edge of being a little scared to step in and say, I want to help address this need within the church. I see it. It needs to get done. I I think I should do it. Talk with one of the elders after the gathering. Send us an email. Let's sit down for a cup of coffee. Let's get this book right here in your hands and get you like up, up to speed with what deacons actually do and how they serve the church. Like, we want to help you. We want to see you grow. One of the things that we're committed together as a church, it's one of our values, is leadership development. We are for you. We want to help equip you to lead here in the church. Let us help you step into that next season as as a part of your life. And if you don't know where you're called to serve, let me just tell you where we need you to serve. Right now, I talked with Travis before the gathering. He leads Veritas Kids right now. We need 10 people to be able to launch a new classroom in Veritas Kids. Just 10 people. We had 10 people, we could launch it next week. Right now, that cl- the, the elementary classroom is sp- like just splitting at the seams right now. I think we had one week where we had like 34 kids in there or something crazy. And I don't know if you've been one of three adults in a room with 34 kids. That is not fun, okay? <laughs> right? And we want your kids to know about Jesus. This is the whole reason they're in Veritas Kids, is so we can tell them about the good news of Jesus and how we can pray for them. And when you're just trying to keep them from killing each other with Legos, not much of that gets to happen. Step in and serve. We need folks to step in and lead on the parking team. We have a family who's been leading this parking team faithfully for months, and um, the, the, the wife of uh, the lady who helps lead the parking team, actually, they help lead it together. Uh, she just got put on bed rest for the rest of her pregnancy. She's in the hospital. She's going to be in the hospital for the whole time. And we need somebody to lead the parking team right now. Anybody just step up and say, hey, I can put on a vest and make sure the signs are out there and make sure the planning center is good to go. We need somebody to lead that. If that's you, let us know. Three, we need someone to help lead our usher team right now. Our usher team's been without a lead for a while. We need someone to step up and say, hey, there's this, you've identified a need within the church. I want to step in and lead. I want to help. I want to help rally people and get the, the, the elements ready before the gathering. Make sure everything's good to go in here. Make sure the seats are sanitized with that weird gun thing. All of that. We need people to step in and serve. Second way I think that this text calls us to respond is that for all of us, as a family, we are to encourage our leaders and pray for them. And this is for all of us. So many of your elders and your deacons and your community group leaders and the people that pour themselves out for you and serve you, it's so few and far between for them to hear just a, man, thank you for serving me. 
Thank you for serving on that team, or thank you for leading me in that gathering, or thank you for whatever. Approach somebody. Have a real conversation. Be like, thank you. you don't have to, it doesn't have to be a five-minute thing. Just pat somebody on the back and say, thank you for serving this church. Thank you for being a deacon. Thank you for being an elder. Or when can I watch your kids so you can go on a date? If you want to go real above and beyond, right? Maybe some of your parents might be uncomfortable with that. We wouldn't. A practical way <laughs> you could do this is <laughs> actively letting us know of your affirmation. We got a two-year-old, y'all. I mean, it's like few and far between before we get a date. Um, it is rough. One practical way you can do this is actively letting us know your affirmation for deacon candidates as well. Um, so this past week, we put deacon candidates on the stage. Some of them that were here and some of them were actually in the field. Uh, some of them were deployed. But if you know those men and women, voice your affirmation, or if you have concerns, voice those too, but approach one of the elders after the gathering, or email life at veritasfayable.com. Uh, that's probably going to be the clearest way that everybody can be involved in that conversation. So just sit down for a few minutes, type up an email about the people that you do know. You don't need to tell us about everybody. If you don't know them all, you can't affirm the character of someone you actually don't know. But if you know those people, let us know what you think about them. Let us know how you want to affirm them in that role, or maybe some concerns that we may had, maybe hadn't thought about. See, your, your church matter, your voice matters here, church. And we really don't want to pretend like it doesn't matter here. See, if we are going to be a church that's unified together on mission, seeing other people come to hear the good news of the gospel, we're going to need all hands on deck, everybody in on this thing. You matter. If you're looking at me right now, you matter. We're for you. We want to develop you. You're, 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 you matter. Your deacons matter. These elders matter because the gospel matters. We want to see faithful reached with the good news of the gospel. And Jesus has ordained that his church be set up with healthy leadership and structure so that the unity of the church is protected and that the truth of the gospel is proclaimed to the world. Let me go ahead and pray that that would be so here. Lord Jesus, only you can bring this about in the life of this church. Only you can you bring about real unity by the power of your spirit in this church. God, I pray that you would. God, I boldly pray that you would unite us all on the same mission, that you would give us just a clarity of vision, uh, that we want to see Fayetteville and the surrounding areas, that we want to just weep for our neighbors that don't know the gospel, that we want to go into uh, the, the preschools and the places where our kids go and just pray for those teachers that they would come to faith in you, Jesus. God, that you would serve your church well uh, through the hands of of elders and, and deacons uh, that serve and pray and preach and proclaim the gospel and rally around need. And God, I pray that as the church grows in health, God, that we would just see a landslide of people come to know you, Lord Jesus, all for your fame, all for your glory, all for your kingdom. God, that we would see other churches planted in Fayetteville, around the Fort Bragg area, that we would really see the beginnings of a revival in this place and to have its seed beds in the reality that we as a people were going to get on our face and say, we're ready to do what it takes. We're ready to serve. We're ready to, 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 to put our cards on the table, put the blank check on the table and say, Jesus, you do whatever you want with my life. God, I pray that that heart dream would be something that you bring to fruition in your time by the power of your spirit and according to your will alone. God, we, want, we don't want to go where you don't want to lead us. 
God, we pray that along with what we've seen in accordance with your scriptures in the early church and what we see through Paul here in 1 Timothy 3, that you would equip, you would call, you would affirm deacons in your church so that the gospel would be protected in its unity and proclaimed power by the elders and pastors of this church. Lord Jesus, we pray this in your name. Amen.